0: All right. Well, uh, hey, today uh, I'm going to invite up uh, three special people. And uh, today what we're going to do is we are going to uh, really finish out the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, it's been fun. We've spent two months in Song of Solomon. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I've heard a lot of good stuff. God is is doing some really good stuff and uh, just thankful. And uh, what we have done is we have looked at um, God's uh, first institution, that is the marriage ins- institution. It really explored relationship, marriage, and sexual intimacy. And what this book does in a very poetic manner is it traces King Solomon and this peasant Shulamite woman uh, through the various stages of their relationship from their Uh, First seeing each other, remember that? She said, let that man kiss me right now. She sees him and their initial attraction to dating, to their wedding, to we get a peek into the honeymoon suite, to their very first fight, uh, all the way to vacation, to the, the uh, the deepening of the relationship through the years of marriage. And then last week, we saw them in old age, and they're reflecting back and uh, sharing what they have learned uh, in their marriage. And then the other thing we saw last week is that in their old age, they're still flirting, aren't they? And they're still pursuing each other, and I thought that was, that was pretty great. And so uh, I think that's a great picture of, of a healthy marriage is uh, to the very end, deepening growing together, passing it on, and then the other thing that we saw is that this Shulamite woman was just flourishing as she's passing on her, her wisdom, and that's what uh, marriage is to be, is we're to encourage and strengthen the other to help them to grow Uh, in their uh, pursuit of of holiness and so really really great and then this week we have a panel discussion and so uh, it's going to be it's going to be fun throughout the series as a resource for you we've been asking you to text in various questions that you have and so you've been texting in questions uh, pertaining to song of solomon and relationship and marriage and sex and we've been addressing some of these things in our sermons and then the things that we weren't able to get to we're going to address uh, this morning so it should be fun and we pray that it will be very very Helpful, and so we have up here with us we have David and Gail Butler, soon to be elder of the church and we 're excited about that and uh, his better half half gail we're're we're grateful how did he ever land you? I have no idea I mean well done, well done and uh, so great, how many years have you guys been married forty three there you go forty four in, Forty-four in march march wow that 's incredible, huh and uh, that 's awesome, and then we have the most amazing woman in the world here, my wife Becky, and, uh, and so uh, and we've been married for, say at the same time, ready, one, two, three, 12, Twelve years, got it, I let her go first, <laughs> it's 12 years, it's always risky when you, when you do that, but uh, it's going uh, to be good, and so uh, hey, before we jump into uh, the questions that, that we're going to put up on the screen in just a minute here, would you guys each just take a, take a quick moment to maybe just throw out a highlight for you uh, in the book of Song of Solomon, what, what's just been a highlight for you, who wants to go first? Okay.
1: Uh, one of the things I loved listening, I, we didn't get to be here for really any of them uh, except for when David preached. But uh, I loved going back and hearing, and I loved getting to know Josh and Becky through the messages because I loved all the illustrations. I, loved, I thought, oh, I know them so much better now because of this. And then I think another takeaway for me, and it's not just because David was the one preaching. But the one on conflict, because unfortunately, even when you've been married 44 years, there are still things that come up and can cause conflict. And so um, I love the very simple way he said, um, step away, step into and step beyond. And I thought that was so encouraging and that they were on the same page. They weren't enemies. They were in it together. Let's work through this conflict because we love each other and we want it
2: to be better.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's very good. It's a great sermon. I love that sermon, David. Thank you. How about you, David? What was uh, a highlight for you?
2: Well, listening back through all of the messages, what really struck me was how needed this series is. Um, And this is not one of those series you go, yep, and move on. This is one you go back to. And regardless of where you are, I think it's one that you can go back to and listen to over and over and over again. I especially appreciated the one on dating. And the reason why the the necessities, as you describe them, that's not something just for people who are getting ready for marriage. It's for all of marriage. It's the kind of things you can go back and repeat and continue to do even in your marriage. And I really appreciated that. And I think if we do much more of that in preparing for marriage, we do a lot more of that in marriage. So I found that to be very, very helpful. And then a statement that Kevin made in his message a uh, very simple statement as I'm listening to it. He says, the, the, it's not the first day of your marriage that matters. It's your last day. I thought that was profound, and I just really hung on to that. Mm-hmm. It really was challenged to me personally.
0: Yeah, so good, so good. Yeah.
2: Now how about you?
3: I loved hearing all his stories about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, um, it was fun to hear his version of it, even though I've heard it a lot of times. It's always fun to hear those. Um, but also, just um, when he was talking about being intentional about your marriage in the future, not just allowing yourself to coast or to go on cruise control. Um, with all the busyness of life going on all the time, it's easy to just do that. If, if you already feel like you have a pretty good marriage, just to be satisfied with that and, you know, just just cruise. But to, um, But to really put things in place to... Continue to grow your marriage, and that there's always things we can do to be um, building into it. So that was a good challenge. Awesome!
0: And this girl loves the microphone. She was just itching to get up here and talk. <laughs> so, thank you for doing this. <laughs> she said, "We can do Song of Solomon back ten or twelve weeks, weeks ago when we were preparing for this. We can do it. Just don't ask me to get up there at all." And then I slowly, <laughs> slowly <laughs> eased her into it. Here we are. But hey, you ready to get into some of these questions? Uh, let's let's do it. Here's uh, our very first question and, that we will address. Uh, This morning we'll throw it up on the screen. Says, "What are your thoughts on believers living together, not having sex, but sleeping in the same bed?" Okay. All right. Well, uh, Becky, (laughs) you want to you want to take this one? All right. Thanks. Right out of the gate,
3: I think it's a bad idea. Here's the why. Why would you want to torture yourself? so in a dating relationship, I think it's hard enough to um, to abstain from having sex, um, even if you live 20 miles away, even if you're visiting each other for dates and everything. Um, you know, Josh has given you a glimpse into our relationship, and I'll be honest, we had to set up very clear boundaries in our dating relationship. And um, we lived on a college campus, <laughs> and so, you know, he had his own apartment, and If we had ever decided to just sleep in the same bed one night, it would have been all over. I mean, it's just, it's how it is. So I feel like you're just making it harder for yourself. If your desire is to not have sex, which I would assume it is because you're asking, you're saying you're not going to, (laughs) um, then I feel like you're just making it, you're kind of torturing yourself by doing that. Um, also, First Corinthians 6:18 tells us to flee from sexual immorality. So to flee means to run, um, to run away from it. Um, so in this case, you 're literally like, camping out right next to it. Um, so you 're getting as close to it as possible when the Bible's telling us to run away from it. Um, and then in First Thessalonians 5:22 it tells us to abstain from the appearance of evil. Other versions say, all forms of evil, evil. Um, and so that's kind of obvious you know how that appears Um, and then another thing I was thinking about is that in all other aspects of life all different scenarios whether it be your career or your finances we're trying to set ourselves up for success right so when it comes to this why should it be any different if your desire is to honor the Lord in um, abstaining from sex then we should set ourselves up for success to not let that happen Um, and then the last thing is just to acknowledge the fact that we get it. We know Boston is so expensive, and it makes sense (laughs) to have a roommate, and if you're dating, it's easy to say, well, why not, you know, do it this way, but I feel like this is really where you need to trust the Lord that his way is best and that he is wise uh, far beyond we are, and just believe that he has these things in order for your best and for your joy, Um, so...
0: a great, great answer to that. And so, um, yeah, financially makes a, makes a whole lot of sense. Why not, right? Uh, we can, we can do this, but uh, Proverbs talks about it's like holding fire against your chest and not getting burned, right? And so, uh, yeah, thank you. That's, that's a great one. Can we, can we take the next one? Let's look at the next one here. It says, should a boyfriend lead his girlfriend? So we talk often about um, what it looks like for a man to, to, to lead in his marriage, and uh, the question is: Before marriage, though, should the boyfriend lead in the the marriage or, or the relationship? So,
2: at first glance, that it sounds like a simple question, but it's very tricky, uh, in the sense that when you are really into a, a relationship that you feel like has a great future to it, you're not just dating for fun. You feel like this is going to move somewhere. You're 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 really wanting to see where it might go. Then all of a sudden, you begin to ask yourself the question: Well, should? our relationship mirror what it's going to be like when we're married? And that's a good question. That's an important question. But I think you have to start at the very beginning by just simply saying, your boyfriend is not your husband. He's not. And you just have to acknowledge that. But by way of reference again in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, that out of reverence, respect, regard for Christ, honor one another. And the word there is the word for submit, submit yourselves to one another out of honor for Christ. So I think within that relationship that seems to be moving toward marriage, I think that's a great opportunity, a great laboratory, so to speak, to see how you're mutually submitting to one another. And that means, how can I bring out her giftedness that God has given her? How can I be there to bring about godliness in her life? How can I lead her in those kind of ways? And I think that's, that's very important. And, and I think it also can mirror the marriage relationship as a husband, my responsibility, my calling through loving leadership, through servant leadership, through sacrifice, uh, sacrificial leadership, not the, the exercise of power or authority, is to constantly be looking for ways in which I can serve, give myself, protect provide, be there with and for Gail. And so that's very important to understand that this leadership in a relationship is not the same as it is when you're a husband, for sure, but you can certainly mirror and almost test what it's going to be like, because you just can't flip a switch and go, I'm married, i got to submit. No, it's not that way at all. It's about developing that relationship, mutually submitting yourselves to one another out of honor for Christ. And see how that's going. If that's not happening, that's a major red flag somewhere along the way. Now, uh, I, would, I would go in and add this word. Um, and this is a word to the guys. If I could give this word, and I see this way too often. Um, as well, in husbands as well as in guys that are dating. Uh, here's my word for you, and that would be man up. Um, way too many guys are passive today. Uh, they think it's pretty cool to text someone and ask them out on a date. Ladies, do not answer a text. Just don't. We've lost manliness and chivalry. It's a great thing to take leadership by providing direction. You, you call her up and you don't ask, what do you want to do? you sure you're invested enough in the relationship. You take time to think about it and you say, Hey, I've been thinking about this and thinking about you. I thought you might enjoy this. How about us doing this? And you show leadership in that way in the relationship. Don't be passive. Refuse passivity. Take responsibility. Take initiative, and show leadership in that way. I think it's huge. And way too many guys today, there's their failure to launch. They they need to grow up and man up, and and step out and take leadership in a loving, caring, servant-hearted manner.
0: And so, and so biblically, you know, they're... What you what you started off with biblically is that there is no, no actual leadership at that level that's that's expected, um, because biblically the, it, the leadership gets passed on the mantle. So mother and father are leading the daughter. That's why the father will actually. Are, we talked about this. The way God brought Eve to Adam. She, he, he brought her as the father, and so similarly, the father will bring the daughter down the aisle, and then we'll hand off that leadership, right? And so, it's, a, it's at that moment. However, if you don't see some initiative and see some signs, is what you're saying, is that correct? Right. Yeah, exactly. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Uh, how about the next question? Let's, let's tackle the next one here. It says, I've been in a relationship with an atheist, and he is a good person, but I feel as though he is pulling me from the Lord. What should I do? So, Dating a relationship or dating relationship with an atheist, there's a there's a, a pull. It's not that he's bad, but he's he's not pulling you towards Christ, away from Christ. So, uh, you want to take that, Gail?
1: I do because I feel very passionately about this subject, um, and I do appreciate the fact that the person who asked this question has recognized that dating an atheist is pulling her away. From her relationship with the Lord. I think that's really important. And I'd like to kind of broaden it and not just an atheist, but someone who is an unbeliever or even someone who says they're a believer, but shows no growth, nothing that would reflect Christ in any way. And I think that's can all be lumped and said the same things about. But when you think about um, dating, it's ultimately going to lead to marriage. Um, that's where marriage comes from, and so it's very important that the person you date is someone that you would want to marry, and when you think about marrying someone whose very foundation is contrary to yours, the relationship cannot go very deep and very far, because as a Christ follower, your whole life has been changed and recreated Because of your relationship with Christ. And when you are dating or into a relationship with someone who does not share that at all, whose foundation, who knows what it might be, there's going to be real conflict. And the part of you that brings you greatest joy, and that is your relationship with Christ, cannot develop and go into that relationship. You cannot share that with that person And therefore, to avoid conflict, to avoid unpleasant conversations or activities, you will tend to pull away, and it will harm your relationship with Christ. It's like putting a lid on a candle. That's how you extinguish the fire of the candle. You put a lid on it. And a relationship with someone who does not share your spiritual values is like putting a lid on on your spiritual growth and it stifles it and you cannot grow the way God wants you to grow and develop and become the person that God wants you to be. So I don't think you even have to pray about it. I don't think you have to um, think very hard. The Bible says don't be yoked with someone who is not a believer. That means don't put yourself in the same harness because You're going to be pulling in different directions, and you're going to get nowhere. Plus, as Josh said in the message, it's going to hurt, and it's going to be a very hurtful relationship, and your heart is going to break because um, if you are married to someone and your relationship can only go so far, it's going to be very devastating. So my um, suggestion to this person who said, what should I do, I think you should very prayerfully and respectfully break off that relationship remembering that that person is a child that God loves and that Jesus died for and don't take it upon yourself to be their savior God will provide someone he loves this person but it's not your responsibility to do that and you pray and you let God bring someone else into their life knowing that God has something very, very special for you. And if you make those hard calls and if you choose to follow his plan, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. And he has a plan that will be so much better than anything you could ever imagine.
0: Yeah, Yeah, well, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. gracious, do it graciously. And uh, and then also I would say, you know, for for those who are married and you become a believer— and uh, your spouse is, is not a believer, that's not, well, then go end the, the marriage. Uh, Paul talks to that uh, in First Corinthians and says to stay in that relationship and pray for them. And so once you're, you're married, you're in it, right? And uh, you pray and you pursue their uh, salvation. So press on with that. And, uh, wow, great question, great question. Uh, let's, let's tackle another one here. The next question can God call you to be single, or did he create someone for everyone? Now, those are two different questions, but they do kind of go hand in hand. And so, uh, David, do you want to take that one? If you ask that question, would you raise your
2: you – no, know, I won't have you do that. Uh, I just thought we could do a little recruiting. Um, but uh, that, that's, that's one of those questions. I'll be honest with you. I never struggled with that I, in terms of being single. And uh, Gail and I started uh, dating uh, our freshman year in college, and we were married our junior year in college. So, uh, I never—it wasn't something I can ever say I personally can understand. I—I I, I can't. But we've had friends in our lives, and we've had people wonder from time to time, uh, and work through this particular question. I'm reminded again in First uh, Corinthians chapter seven, where Paul just writes this way. Uh, Let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called them. So I don't see singleness as something as a second kind of uh, second best. I see it. uh, I don't see it in anything less than marriage. I see it as a calling. So I think you have to view singleness as a calling. I think you have to look at singleness not as something that is permanent. It may be, but as something potentially that is temporary. So I don't think you look at it in terms of, am I to to be single for the rest of my life? Is God calling me to singleness for the rest of my life? As much as, what is God's purpose for my life right in this moment? This is not where I happen to be. This is where I happen to be in light of God's purpose for my life at this particular moment in time. And view it in that. And so don't look at it as a standpoint of disappointment or don't be looking at it from a standpoint of just kind of, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm on hold, and I've got to wait till that happens in my life. No, I am here. This is part of God's plan and purpose for my life right now. I embrace it. I accept that call. And so, therefore, I want to live out everything God has for me in this moment according to his purpose. And that takes a lot of pressure off. It keeps you from making stupid mistakes and think, I've got to find somebody. And I think it also just allows you... To actually do things in your life, Paul talked about this as well, you're free from certain kinds of obligations and distractions where you can actually leverage your life in greater ways. I was just thinking back. We we had a very kind of a fun experience years ago when we were in our late 20s and early 30s. There was a guy by the name of Tom Lester. That means nothing to you. But if you've ever seen the old Green Acres sitcom, The tall, lanky farmhand, Ebb, his name is Tom Lester. And Tom was the chair of a pastoral search team for the First Baptist Church of Beverly Hills, California. And they got our name and invited us out to spend a weekend. And we were actually invited to become the pastor there at the First Baptist Church of Beverly Hills, a block off of Sunset Strip. And it was, you know, all of that. But the one thing that we learned that weekend, Tom was single. He was in his 40s. And listening to Tom, I learned a lot. I appreciated so much the way he embraced that so that he saw it as a way God could use him in far greater ways. Now, do I believe that God has someone for everyone? Yes, if he's called you to be married. It's not any particular one person. I think we make a mistake by saying, i got to find the one, as much as saying... I've got, before I get into the right relationship, I've got to become the right kind of person. And so that's what I've got to focus on, not on finding the right one, but about before I get into the right relationship, being right myself. So that's, that's kind of how my response is. And if you're single right now, uh, don't worry. Don't be disappointed. Don't panic. Don't do something stupid. Embrace it. This is God's purpose for my life right now. I can be excited about it. It may be temporary, it may be permanent. And Jesus talked about it in Matthew 19. Sometimes you're, uh, you're made that way. God just makes you that way. Sometimes you're forced that way. And by forced, you're single, you've got elderly parents. And right now, you, they need you to be there with and for them. So the situation, the circumstance, you step into singleness for that moment in time in your life. Sometimes you choose that. Because you go, you know what? For me to really live out all God's called me to live out, it's going to mean being called to a single life for the rest of my life. So those would just be my quick responses.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I heard it. I read somewhere one time that that singleness is always a gift. It's always a gift. We always see singleness as a gift, whether for a season or for a lifetime. Uh, it's it's a season of life where you can use and leverage, as you said. Uh, to, to under, be, not be distracted and, and to use it for the, the purposes of the Lord. So uh, it's always a gift. So if you're there, uh, don't despise it. Take it and use the freedom that you have for, for kingdom purposes. That's a, great, that's a great word. Thank you. Let's take the next one here. How does Song of Solomon relate to people who are given the gift of celibacy? Okay, so this, is, this one piggybacks off that. Then if you're given that gift we want to call it that's not a gift as in a gift of the spirit romans 12 ephesians 4 first corinthians 12 but a gift because jesus says you're given to this and so if, if that's you how does song of solomon relate to you um, and i would say let's apply that not just to those who have that forever but for even for a season do, does this matter do, do, should i even care and i would say absolutely you should care we've talked about this throughout the series that there's there's so many relationship principles packed into the Song of Solomon from how to, how to deal with conflict to seeking the flourishing of another. And in any relationship, we should be going in selflessly and seeking to help the other person to flourish. And so all kinds of relationship principles packed in there. And I think marriage is kind of the it's the pressure cooker relationship, right? It is the most challenging relationship, but you're in it. And so if you can survive that, uh, man, it, it applies to so many other relationships. And so for all of us, if we can learn from Song of Solomon, we can apply that stuff uh, to our relationships, So yes, there's, there's lots of good word uh, in Song of Solomon for your, your relationships, uh, even if you're not called to, to marriage. And then also I'd say in terms of counsel, uh, even if you have been given, let's loosely call it the gift, um, if, if that's you, uh, you're still going to have lots of married people in your life uh, that God wants you to speak into their lives and to be informed on how God has designed marriage is, is uh, incredibly important. And so uh, it applies to you as well. let's take the next one next question is hi hi to whoever you are hi uh you spoke in passing about different ways people couples express their love for each other uh can you elaborate on that please so we talked about uh how do we pursue each other well and and uh specifically about how do we express love for each other so someone want to take that you want to take that
3: um, I think you're probably referring to when he brought up um, the five love languages, and that's a book written by Gary Chapman, so if you want to pick it up and read it, we think it's a great book. Um, but th- So those five gifts that he lists, or not gifts, we've been talking about gifts, the five love languages that he lists are receiving gifts, uh, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service and physical touch. So the whole idea, um, and again, these aren't necessarily taken from the Bible. Um, but I think they've been proven true in our marriage. And I've talked to a lot of other people who, um, will, who feel the same way. Um, so the idea is that each person has a primary love language. And that's the way that they feel the most loved. Um, so what happens is that because that's the way you feel most loved, that's what flows out of you naturally when you're showing love to other people, um, in particular your spouse. So um, that's the challenge, is that it's so easy for us to show love um, if that's what, we're, what makes us feel loved. But the challenge is that our spouse probably doesn't share that same love language. And so we need to, be, um, to really study our spouse or even our boyfriend, whoever we're in a relationship with, to figure out how do they feel loved? Because, um, I mean, I can buy Josh a gift, because I would say that's probably my love language. I feel like it sounds so shallow when I say <laughs> that. But <laughs> but, um, simple stuff. Simple stuff, yeah, but receiving gifts. If I buy him a gift, he's like, oh, thanks. And it's fine, he appreciates it, but he doesn't necessarily feel loved. He feels loved when I affirm him, when I'm giving him words of affirmation. Um, So that's what I need to do for him, but for example, um, I was, I got in my car to go to work um, one morning, and it's always stressful walking out the door to school in in our house every single morning, (laughs) or like barely to school on time, Um, so I got in the car, and on my dashboard was a little note, I don't remember what it said, something about I love you. You're beautiful. See, he was using words of affirmation, <laughs> and that was nice. But what the note was written on was a Starbucks gift card, and my heart was just bursting that he just saw to me and gave me a little gift. Um, so he really has paid attention to the ways that I feel the most love, and he goes out of his way to show me love in that way, and not just the way that's easy for him. So um, there's actually a little quiz in this book too. If you're really interested, you can buy the book and. Maybe you have an idea. and I mean, that'll help you kind of narrow it down, but that's that. Yeah, yeah.
0: it's just good wisdom. It's not necessarily right. biblical, but it's good wisdom. Yeah. yeah.
1: If I could interject a word after being married for 44 years, sometimes you adjust your receptor to receive their giving. Um, in other words, and, and you still have your own giftedness, and you still work off of that, but I have to really brag on my husband because his um, he loves to give, give gifts. That's not necessarily his uh, main area of uh, love language. His love language would be words of affirmation and encouragement, but he does love to give gifts, and when we were first married, I did not receive them well because I thought of all the money he'd spent on those gifts and that was just not necessary. We didn't have the money and why did you do that? But over the last 44 years, I've tried to be much more, uh, much kinder when he gives me something and I'm coming to really enjoy it actually. Uh, The other day, he just did the most wonderful thing and he almost didn't because of my reactions in the past of things that he has given me, but I came in on Wednesday night from being gone for a couple weeks. We had just decided where we were going to move. The move was taking place on Saturday of that very week. My thought was that I was coming in on Wednesday night on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday morning. I was going to have to pack up our apartment So as we were sitting there um, getting some dinner before we went home, I just said, oh, I just wish this were Monday um, because I realized all the work I was going to have to do. So he very coyly stopped by and said, said, do we need some boxes? And so we stopped by and got some boxes. And he said, well, I think I have a few at home. Walked in our apartment, and he had contracted with some ladies who have a business to pack our apartment so I walked in and there were all these boxes packed that I did not have to do so all I had to do was kind of go around and scoop up the leftovers but I do believe that is one of the most wonderful gifts (laughs) I've ever been given but he oh he really scared me because he said I almost didn't do it because I didn't know what your response would be and I thought, well, honey, you better shape yourself up because you don't know what you might be missing.
0: Oh, man. Well done. I just want to get over there and give you a big chest bump or something right now. That was good job. Good work. <laughs> all right. Pick up that book if you're married or plan to be married. That's a, that's a great one. All right. Next one. Next question. How active should I be in finding a spouse or do I leave it all in the hands of God? How active should I be in finding a spouse or do I... Just leave it in the hands of
1: God. Who wants to take that one? Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do this. Th- this is kind of a funny question for me because uh, David and I met because I was looking for new boys at church. <laughs> so um, it was the first Sunday of college, and, uh, or it was first day of college, and it was a Sunday morning. And all the freshmen were supposed to come in for freshman orientation. So this was my hometown, and that's where I lived and where I went to school. I was going to school. And so I just thought, you know, there might be some new boys at church this morning. And so I was looking around and spotted David and his mom sitting there and uh, introduced myself to them. And then later that night was able to meet him at a campus, a Christian campus um, fellowship. So um, there is some activeness on your part that you could take in pursuing someone or putting yourself in God's plan. And I think that's a better way to put it. Uh, God says that I have a plan for your life and I will accomplish my purpose for you. But that doesn't mean we just sit back in our house with the windows closed, to the doors closed, and say, okay, God, here I am. Where is he or where is she?
0: The mailman. Right?
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> uh, 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 yes. <laughs> but you don't even see the mailman because he just puts the stuff in your box. So anyway, so it's kind of a, a yes question to both of those questions. You sh- Your life should not revolve around finding a spouse. Marriage cannot be an idol. So in whatever activity you find yourself, your purpose for that activity cannot be, oh, this might be a place I'll find a spouse. But you let God lead you. Let him open opportunities for you. Follow him wherever he may lead Because you never know where that person is, but you have to be prepared. Learn about marriage. Learn about yourself, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in another question. Prepare yourself for marriage, but then don't make it the focus of your life trying to find somebody to marry. Um. A Great illustration is we had a friend who had graduated from college and was in seminary, and he felt God was leading him to teach English in China. And so he had been asked to do this. He prayed about it, felt like that was a great opportunity. He was a single young man. So he went to China. Lo and behold, if he did not meet a young woman from Australia who God had called to China... And this boy, young man from America, met this young woman from Australia in China, and they got married. So even when you feel like there are no more fish in the pond, God has creative ways of bringing people into your life as you follow his leading in your life.
0: I love hearing your story, too. So All right. Well, hey, next question. The next question is, what if a relationship is emotionally unhealthy and the partner doesn't show respect? Should you always try to move past your issues? That's a great question. Unhealthy relationship um, for whatever, whatever that looks like and doesn't show respect. How do you, how do you or do you seek to move past? You want to take that, Dave?
2: And, of course, the context, if this is obviously before you're married, you have a different response than if you're married. If it's prior to marriage and the unhealthy nature is there and it's obvious and it's not something that you can avoid, you don't ignore it. You don't assume that things will get better. In fact, that's one of the most dangerous things that you can do. And to think, I'm too far into this relationship. I can't turn back now. You can turn back the day of your wedding if you need to. Uh, If there's something unhealthy, then acknowledge it, be honest about it, have open conversation about it, and again, in a Christ-honoring manner, talk about it and, and not move past it, own it, but then understand that a relationship does not have any future if it's unhealthy. And by... Well, unhealthy, what I'm assuming your meaning is, it's not just had a bad couple of days or bad couple of weeks. This is ongoing, been going on for a long time in this relationship, and it just keeps coming back and keeps coming back. Do not ignore those red flags. In fact, let them scream at you to stop and speak honestly, however much it may painfully hurt you in that moment, and say, you know... I would love for this to be something that God had in mind, but it's obvious in our relating to each other. It's unhealthy, and I cannot continue with this relationship. And you have to be willing to do that. That's one of the hardest, hardest things to do when you're in an unhealthy relationship is to break it off because you keep thinking, keep hoping, somehow it's going to get better. But prior to marriage, if you see it, stop it. Get out of it. Run from it. Don't think that somehow or another over time things will get better. They won't. Just acknowledge that. That's God protecting you and allowing you to see it in that moment. Now, let me say this if you're in the marriage and the relationship has gone to a place to where it's unhealthy. Maybe you actually brought all of that into the marriage. It was unhealthy before you got married. It would continue to be unhealthy while you're married. If that's the case, then in that particular moment in time, you, you can't move past your issues. You can't ignore them. Again, you can't walk away from the relationship. You've got to work through them. But the, one of the worst things that can happen in a lot of marriages is that they don't acknowledge that it's unhealthy. it would be so important for you just to stop in that moment in time. Take the Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 1. Use that as a grid to talk openly about the issues that you have in your marriage. One of the things I'm afraid that too often within the Christian community we've been guilty of, we aren't vulnerable enough. And we've got to learn to be Vulnerable. If the Christian community, the church is not a safe place to be vulnerable to say to another couple, we are struggling, we are in trouble, our marriage is not good, it's unhealthy, and we don't know what to do. And if we've got to learn to be vulnerable like that, we're afraid to because we've got to give off the impression. Recently, a couple from the church I just recently pastored in Concord, New Hampshire, I got a, I got a um, message here, uh, on my Facebook and describing to me that their marriage was falling apart. And so what could I call his wife because she was ready to leave him. And anytime I get somebody that wants me to call his wife and say, please don't leave your husband, I know we got some problems. The problem's not with the wife, the problem's with the husband calling me because they've waited too long. Most of the time when they get to me, they're way past triage. It's, it's not a good situation. But when I finally did get a conversation with his wife, here's what she told me. She said, I begged, and she named her husband's name, I begged him, can't we go talk to David? Can't we go talk to some of our friends? Can't we go talk to this couple that we admire and appreciate and respect within our church? And he kept saying, I don't want anybody to know our dirty laundry. And I'm done, she said. And we had a conversation that night, and I continued on back and forth and phone calls. This has happened in the last two weeks. And finally, one of the things I said to her was, please don't make any decisions about what you're going to do until you get into a healthy place yourself. She had some medication. She needed to check her meds. That was important. She had some things about herself emotionally. She needed to check into Don't make any decisions until you get to a healthy place. And the the other thing I said to her her husband, please give her room and space. Do not pressure her. Do not say to her, we got to fix this. Do not try to fix it. Back up, give time and grace and space, and invite people to come around you and to speak into your life and begin the process of working through. I'm happy to tell you that after five long weeks, they are at a place where they're beginning to move towards a healthy place through some counseling and support that have come along the way. So I hope that's helpful in terms of responding. Yeah, yeah that's good.
0: Yeah, if you, I mean, if you're in a, in a unhealthy and that it's dangerous for you, mm-hmm. remove yourself from that situation and get the care that you need. Uh, but in terms of, unhealthy emotionally and some struggles there, space for grace, I love that, that's good, Uh, space for God, the Holy Spirit to to work is really, really, uh, really important, so thanks, that's great. Uh, Let's take our next one here, and we've got to move a little faster, so we might have to skip over a few, I apologize, but uh, can souls mingle in other ways than having sex? Okay, so this person has clearly been reading a book by Matt Chandler uh, called The Mingling of Souls, unless they're just incredibly creative, and so... uh, Uh, And and that book's just a great book and I encourage you to to read through it. It's informed a lot of what we have uh, done in this series and kind of our structure. Great, great book. Uh, But I think... uh this question's important, uh, similar to, to the way uh, what David just did, is to separate out if this is coming from a married person or from an unmarried person. If, if, you're, if you're married and you're trying to find a way to get around sex, um, there's clearly an issue there, and, um, and I, I'm not trying to make light of that uh, at all, because there may be some kind of physical issue that is just making it uncomfortable, painful, or, or difficult um, or there could be a hormonal thing. You need to talk to a doctor. There could be some um, some, some abuse or shame associated with, with intimacy in that way because of something that was done, or shame because of some abuse that was done in your childhood or previous, or uh, you need to address that and, and talk to us. We would love to help you address that. Or maybe even there's, um, there's bitterness in the relationship, and you just want to can't even fathom the thought of of touching uh, that person. And so let us know we'd love to help. So that's just from the married perspective. Um, Intimacy should be frequent and faithful, and um, it's a gift of God. It's a good thing. Uh, So if there's negative associations, there's something that needs to be dealt with there. Um, If you're unmarried um, and you're asking this question, someone who's, say, called to, to celibacy, I would say absolutely Absolutely, yes. Um, Listen, we can live without sex, but we can't live without intimacy. And so if you're pre-marriage or your marriage was broken and you're not in a marriage or you're widowed or widower, we can live without sex, but we cannot live without intimacy. We have been made in the image of God. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 tells us uh, we are made in the image of God, and God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's from eternity past, lived within relationship in himself, and so we're designed that way. We are relational beings. We need intimacy. We do, and so uh, you you get that first from the Lord, and so through Jesus, you have a relationship restored with the Lord where you can have intimacy with God the Father, but then God has designed it such that we are to have intimacy with each other, and obviously not everybody's going to have the same level of closeness relationally, but God wants to provide that for you. You Think about uh, David and Jonathan, uh, just a great picture of that. uh, the scriptures say that they had their their souls were knit together, and so I, I think souls knit mingling. I mean, it's very uh, that's what was happening. Their their souls were were knit together. In Colossians chapter two, the apostle Paul borrows from that language and 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 speaks to that and, and says that he wants the church at Laodicea and Colossae to to love each other in such a way where their souls are are knit together. Uh, and so uh, yes, you you can have that. Uh, without the physical intimacy part Uh, God really wants to provide that for you so that's a that's a good question and I think true for uh, a lot of people who are single I'm looking at all these people it seems like everybody's in a relationship and I don't have that Um, but God wants to provide you closeness and to be known and and know. so that's that's a that's a really really good important question Um, let's take the next one next question What if a woman is interested in a man who is not pursuing her? All right, here we go. Who wants to take that? You want to take that?
3: So you have two obvious options. You could either wait and just see if eventually he will, or you could take action. Um, (laughs) Ideally, as David said, you guys need to man up. And if you are, don't wait around for her to notice. Do us a favor and tell her. (laughs) Um but generally a guy who's interested in you is gonna show you one way or another. Either it's gonna be obvious, he's gonna just come out and ask you out, or maybe it'll be subtly. So look for that. If there's a guy you're interested in, and um maybe it's just a little I mean, flirting, you know? Um just just be aware of that. Um I think there are some exceptions for guys, and I've asked a couple guys in my life. Um I think there are a couple exceptions. When there's fear of rejection, Um, maybe he is interested in you, but he's just so afraid to go there um, because he's afraid it won't be reciprocated. Um, Or I think maybe he's just written you off assuming you would never be interested. Maybe he thinks you're out of his league. So what I would do, um, and this isn't from experience, but (laughs) I think I would... I would eventually let him know. Um, we can look at the story of Ruth in the Bible, and I wouldn't say that she pursued Boaz, but she definitely let him know. Um, she she put on some perfume, she looked nice, and she got in his way. Um, so she didn't ask him on a date, and I, I think the guy really needs to pursue the girl, but I think it's okay to get in his way, to allow him to notice you. Um, in a ladylike, appropriate way. (laughs) Um, So it's definitely okay to let him know. Um, But after that, if you do choose to let him know, and it's a definite no, you need to be okay with that. You need to remember that your identity is in Christ and it's not in this person who you were hoping to marry, (laughs) Um, but that um, you can still move on and and be okay with that. Mm -hmm.
0: That's really good. Good, good. Well, uh, we'll have a receiving line of, of people out back, so just kidding. <laughs> All right, next one. <laughs> next one. Uh, how do you move past heartbreak? Anybody ever been brokenhearted? I'm sure we have. How do we move past that? You going to take that, Gail?
1: I uh, am. <clears throat> excuse me. But whether it's a breakup of a dating relationship, a friendship, a marriage, heartbreak is a very real thing. And Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. So you have a God who understands and understands what you're going through. Um, When you are going through heartbreak, it's very important for you to just have a safe place to open up your heart to him and be totally honest. I mean, after all, we try to sugarcoat it with God and why he knows our heart. And Open your heart to him. Let him know how hurt you are, how vulnerable you are, how much you're hurting, and pour that out to him. Go to him first and let him be your comforter as your creator. And seek him through his word, not for what he can do for you, but because he's God. Seek him. Because the danger is when you have a heartbreak, one of the first things we tend to do is blame God, whether we're conscious, really say, God, this is your fault, or we're just a little bit resentful toward him. We tend to blame him and we can doubt his character. God, you must not love me if you cause this to happen. And so it's very important when we're going through heartbreak to seek God, to read the scripture to remind ourselves of who God is in our lives, to pray and ask God to help us deal with this and to help us move past this. That's so important. And then another thing is when we have this void in our life that this person's leaving has caused, we tend to withdraw. And the worst thing we can do is to withdraw. After we've been with God, after we've poured out been vulnerable with Him, we need to reach out to other people, our friends, our close friends who can who we can also be vulnerable with, and be in community with them. Do new things, try new experiences. The more joy and laughter you experience after heartbreak, the more the memories of the heartbreak are pushed to the back, and you begin to feel whole again. And then also to get outside yourself. One of the great, uh, in talking with someone about this, a great phrase that he used was turn your mirror into a window. And I thought that was great. A mirror, you look at yourself You're seeing yourself. You're seeing your hurt. It's terrible. God, why did you let this happen to me? I'm miserable. I'm always going to be miserable. But if you turn that mirror into a window, you're looking out into all God has, all the opportunities you have to serve others. And as you begin to serve others and to look outside yourself, a whole new world can open up there. And you can see that God has amazing things for you. That's not something you want to hear right after the heartbreak happens. God has better plans for you. He has something better for you. Okay, I know that, but I don't want to hear that right now. But you do know that deep in your heart. And you can be assured that every heartbreak has a redemptive quality. And it can lead you closer to God. And one person said, it was the hardest time in my life, but it was the time I grew closer and closest to God. So as you do that, looking beyond yourself, just know that God does have a wonderful plan for your life and beyond the pain that you're going through.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's really good. That's really good. So much in there. You could just drop the mic and we could be done. <laughs> but uh, Hey, uh, one, uh, we'll take another one here. We just have a few more. Okay, we should have just dropped the mic and been done. Okay. Uh, yeah. um, is is masturbation always sinful? David, you want to take that? I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll do it. i got to send it this mess. This is your new elephant right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the test. All right, well, um, yeah, so I think, again, I think this brings, we have to go start with unmarried or married again, and, um, and I'll let me clarify that. In in terms of of unmarried, I would say I would say yes. Um, This is one of those. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not. Um, but there's a lot of things the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not, but the Bible does say thou shalt, right? And uh, so Genesis chapter 2, uh, 24, 25, we always go back, there. we probably go there, it seems like every other sermon at least, uh, not just in this series, but always, because there's this thing we call creation mandate. This is how God has designed it, and he says thou shalt, right? Uh, a man shall leave his father and mother hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So this is creation mandate. This is how God's designed it. This is what he wants it to look like. This is the order in which he wants things to flow. He wants first the, the, the man to leave mom and dad. That means grow up. Uh, then hold fast. That means to become one, uh, be married to uh, your spouse, and then they are naked and they are not ashamed, and so that's that 's the order, and so any sexual gratification out of that order I would say is is sin right and so um that that's just that's just i think pretty clear that 's creation mandate, and so um that's that 's how God has designed it. We keep going back there in so many other areas and so I would say this if this is something that you struggle with, uh, know this first of all, you are not alone, this is very, very common, and so um, listen you may need to uh, first start with confession and repentance and, and deal with that. But I would also encourage you, uh, the Bible tells us, to bring sin to light. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to come give you a microphone. What I, what I mean is, is yes, confess to the Lord, but also conf- find somebody that you can share that with. Hey, this is I struggle here, and uh, I, I just want to get some accountability and, and just let that be known. And I think you'll find that very, very helpful, uh, because what happens is this, this comes with so much shame for a lot of people. And uh, listen, shame was never the intention of the Lord. It's never his intention to, to cause us to, to, to run into shame. And so if this is you, receive the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and confess and move forward in, in fighting purity, and, and, and move forward with someone else that you can um, share that struggle with. Now, Let's, let's speak to this uh, from the perspective of being married, because the question is, is it always sinful? And again, at the beginning of this series, here's one thing that we said. We said uh, that anything goes in marriage, anything goes in marriage as long as what? As long as naked and not ashamed. Again, that creation mandate. And so if it's something that is mutually agreed upon and it doesn't cause the other person shame, uh, then anything goes in marriage. Now, okay, now what does that mean? What does that mean? Let me just try to give a couple of hypotheticals here. Um, one, maybe there's, say, a health issue. And so a spouse is trying to serve their their spouse. And so that could be a hypothetical. Anything goes in marriage as long as it's mutually agreed upon and there is uh, not shame being felt by one of the, the partners. Another one may be uh, a military deployment and there is, uh, there's some spouses get creative and there's no lusting after another person, no pornography or anything of that nature. Perhaps... Uh, that could be a scenario. I'm just trying to think of some real-life scenarios here, but uh, always no, uh, always yes in, uh, if you're unmarried, and always in marriage no, anything goes, I think, naked and, and not ashamed. So, does that help? Hopefully that helps. Nobody wants to shake their head. Why did I ask? <laughs> um, well, all right. Um, let's, uh, let's take a, a few more. We'll, we'll skip to the next one. What is the moment when a person realizes that a relationship is no longer healthy to stay in? You know, I think David addressed that. And so just for the sake of time, we're going to kind of move past that. Are you okay with that? Um, we're going to move to the next one. The next one is how can singles prepare themselves for marriage? Gail, would you give us a quick, just a quick thought on how can a single person prepare themselves for marriage? We've heard it said several times already. Uh, you know, prepare yourself. Make sure your heart's right. Put good bait on the hook before you go fishing. Right, uh, good. Yeah, so what do you got?
1: Uh Yeah, I think this is great. I loved this question. Uh, And I love the fact that the person asking it was putting it in the perspective, how can I prepare for marriage? Because you have to prepare yourself for marriage and ask yourself the question, what do I need to do to prepare myself? How can I grow in my relationship with Christ? What do I need to do there? Also, what kind of person am I? And what kind of person do I need to be? What kind of things do I need to uh, add to my life, take out of my life? Um, What areas do I need to work on? And then what do I want my life vision to be? Think about that because if you get prematurely into a relationship before you've really decided what is my life vision, then you've compromised that life vision and it becomes muddy. So clarify, what is my life vision um, before you get into marriage. Uh, Think about what you want in a spouse and then think about how you can complement those qualities by being the kind of person that will complement the kind of person you want to marry. Um, And then observe other marriages. I thought this was good. I did interview two of my favorite single people for this answer and uh, for this question. And they said, observe married couples. And I thought that was great. I would never have thought about that. But see what you like in married couples. Hang around other married couples. See how they act. Think about things. Take snapshots in your head. Process them in your heart. And then choose those type of things. Ask them questions so that you will be prepared for that time in your life. And then while you're uh, waiting and praying, develop a spirit of servanthood and ways that you can serve others and uh, bring glory to God. Yeah.
0: Wow, that's, that's really good. That's really, and I think that's a great place for us to kind of close this up, is uh, to think about how we can uh, be prepared for marriage if you're single. And again, as we talked about last week, if you're married, uh, how you can make your marriage uh, open so that other people can enjoy the benefits of it other than just your children. Uh, but one of the coolest things that god has done in our church that really has surprised us is he's really caused us to be a diverse congregation on so many levels and uh, i love that and uh, we don't want to just put the married people in a corner and put the single people in a corner and put the college students in a spot and the kids over here and the teens over here we want to share life together and so we can really we can really prepare by observing uh, each other's marriages and and just, just connecting in that way, so that 's a great answer great answer so hey thanks guys so much for uh, for doing this uh, i know it 's been uh, it 's been been fun and uh, a lot of good questions. And listen, here's what I'll say. Uh, at the end of the gathering, I'm going to ask you guys if you guys will just kind of hang out up here a bit. Um, and if you want to come talk about anything, we'll, we'll just hang out here. We'll pray with you uh, and just make ourselves available in that way. But thank you so much for, for hanging in there with us uh, through this and, and for submitting those questions. Just really, really good stuff. I'm going to say a word of prayer and uh, just thank God for, uh, for what we've done and how he's led. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We are so thankful Uh, for the Song of Solomon, such an important and, 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 and just helpful book on so many levels. It's stuff that we're interested in and stuff that's important and stuff that's so foundational to how you've created this world and created us and wired us. And so, God, I pray that you would litter our world with healthy Christian marriages who could point to the love that Jesus has for his church, that he loved her and you gave yourself up for her. And so, God, I pray that you would do that. Cause us as, as uh, your people to reflect you well, um, whether married or single. Lord, um, we just commit this to you. We love you and thank you for your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.